This is my Bible. This is my Bible. It is the word of truth. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I can do what it says I can. I am a believer. I'm a believer. And not a doubter. And not a doubter. I am a hearer and not just a believer. Well. <laughs> That's okay. I'm a doer. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. And not just a hearer. I am a I'm, I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I'm humble. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that. I know that. Faith come by hearing. Faith come by hearing. And hearing by. And hearing by. The word of God. The word of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Amen. 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 Thank God for our young people. Amen. Amen. All right, then. Well, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, and uh, verse 25 and 26. I'll read into your hearing. Acts chapter 15. The Bible says, so we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you officials, representatives, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked, somebody say risk, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Keep your mind on that word risk. Amen? You may be seated. First, let me just start off by saying a very special thanks to the ladies who made Father's Day special last week. I want to thank Sister Lisa, Salinda, Candace, Zontel, Yolanda, and all those who put their hands to the plow to do those uh, parfaits and the gifts and all of that stuff, just give them a hand clap of praise for, for being there. Kind of took us back to the old days, amen? Amen. Well, again, we say thanks to them for, for the labor of love. So today we're going to start a little short series that's entitled, Jesus is Worth the Risk. Amen? Jesus is Worth the Risk. You know, when it comes to sharing the, the gospel, witnessing, or evangelizing. Whenever you're out there trying to seek and save those who are lost, there may be some risk involved. You know, when it comes to striving to live in a way that is pleasing to Jesus, there may be some risk involved. You know, sometimes when you're in a position to do God's will, as opposed to man's will, the world may put some challenges before you that may put you at, at risk. But I just dropped by to tell you, Cliff, Jesus is worth the risk. You know, risk means a situation involving exposure to danger, harm, or loss. That's one. Two, the possibility that something unpleasant or unwelcoming could happen. Three, to incur the chance of a negative consequence by engaging in a venture or action. Somebody say that just simply means, you know, sometimes when you're doing something for the Lord, you may be taking a chance. Amen. You know, but when I think about risk now, you take risk every day. But you don't look at it as risk because you have accepted. Driving here today was a when you go to work on 98 tomorrow, when the base is letting out, the school bus is running, it's a risk. And because most of us don't want to accept the whole risk, we have insurance on the car that we drive. Because we said, hey, if I tear this thing up, I can't pay for it by myself. So I'm not going to accept all the risk, but I'm going to pay the insurance company to accept some of it with me. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that if you invest your money in the stock market, you're investing it at a risk. Especially when it done went from 40000 down back to 32000 now. Some of y'all probably panicked because you looked at, is it worth the risk to leave my money in this stock market? Or should I take it out? And so what I'm trying to get you to see as a parallel is that you have to make up in your mind that Jesus is worth the risk. Here's a good stock, a blue chip. It may have some ups and downs, but in the end, you're going to come out on top. 
And so I got to get you to see that it does involve danger sometimes. And in the book of Esther is a good example. Go, go to the book of Esther with me real quick. I'm going to read in your hearing when I read uh, verses 4, uh, 10 through 17 in chapter 4. Now let me set this up. See, we're going to see here that Esther took a risk for God in order to save the Jews from annihilation. This was at a time when the world was kind of ruled by the Persian Empire. And at this time, uh, the king was holding a conference where he brought all his leaders in. And during that time, the men was having a little celebration. In other words, they was drinking and having some fun. And so the king got a little bold while his boys was there and decided he was going to send for the queen, Charlie, and let her put on her royal attire and parade around in front of the, kind of show off, let you see what, I, what I'm working with here. But the queen decided she wasn't going. And as a result of that, she got fired. And then the men in the kingdom say, hey, you got to do something because if the word get out that she disobeyed you, you sovereignty. You can do what you want. If the word get out, we're going to catch hell back home with our wives because they're going to... So what he did, he put out a search for a queen. And somehow, under God's providence, Esther made the cut. She wasn't even Persian. She was a Jew. But God put her in that place and she made the cut. Once she made the cut, she found favor with the eunuch who prepared the latest to come before the king. And as a result of that, long story short, Esther was nominated and selected to be the next queen. Y'all follow me so far? Now, in the meantime, her cousin Mordecai sit at the king's gate, and he just listening to all the talk going on in town, and he overhears some conversation about killing the king. So he let that word get out, get known. But in the, at the same time that he was doing good, that was a bad guy the king was about to promote, named Haman. And you see, Haman let his promotion went to his head because he wanted everybody to bow down before him because he was second in charge, and he got some power and authority. And what happened was Mordecai refused to bow. And so by that, Haman felt disrespected. You know what disrespect will get you killed these days. <laughs> folks are killing folks because they feel like they've been disrespected. So what he does, he go and talk to the king and say, hey, look here, why don't we clean up your kingdom a little bit? You got all these Jews in here. They don't worship like we worship. They don't serve the same God. Why don't we set up a plan where we can kill them all? So he came up with this scheme, and about a month later, it was going to come into effect. When the word got out to the Jews what he was about to do, they started, you know, weeping, moaning, crying, because they saw the writing on the wall. Because at this time, if a king put an edict out, he could not reverse it. So Haman now is making all these plans to kill all these Jews. And so what happens is Mordecai say, I need to get word to my cousin. She in the king's court. Surely she can do something to help her. But in order for her to help them, she's going to have to put herself at sometime when God calls you to do something, and you got to help somebody out, you may have to put yourself, and you have to sit down and weigh it out and deliberate in your mind, is this worth the risk? She had to do that because it was a troubling situation. Look at this in verse 10. After this exchange, it says, Then Esther told her task to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. He had already told her, sent to her that he needed her to do something. She says this, all the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone, somebody say anyone, anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. The only way you live is the king have to hold up his golden scepter. And on top of that, tell Mordecai, the king ain't asked for me. 
in 30 days. You know, at that time, kings had harems. So the queen wasn't always the choice of the week. And so she figured, hey, I, you know, I ain't seen no boy in 30 days. His attitude could be foul, and all of a sudden now I'm going to go in there and tell him he needs to reverse himself? So she, at first she wasn't willing to accept that risk because she knows that if things go bad, you know, I'm doomed to die. Making sense so far? Now look at this, verse 12. So Hattach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Then Mordecai sent a message back. And here's the, reply, the response. And I call this a thought-provoking question that he kind of throw at Esther. He says, now look, in number verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. At the end of the day, you still a Jew. And the edict went out for all. This was long before Hitler. Folk been trying to kill God's. So Hitler wasn't nothing new. This guy had signed an edict to kill them all. But God had somebody in place. She didn't realize it until she had this confrontation with her cousin. He said, now, don't think for a moment that just because you live in Hollywood, that you ain't going to suffer some of the same thing we suffer down in Watts, in Compton. Just let the law stop you. They don't care that you live in Hollywood. So sometimes people think that they can zip code their way out of issues. And what you got to see if God gets you out of that zip code, he didn't get you out of that zip code to look down on the zip code you. There are people in the zip code that you left that still need your help. And you got to be willing to take the risk sometime to help someone that's below you, as you may see, or to pull you out of your little comfort zone. You don't got comfortable in the hills in Hollywood. Sometimes you just got to go back to the valley and see how the people in the valley are living. Because he said to her, you still Jew. And the edict says all Jews could be annihilated on this day. So look what he says here, verse 14. If you keep quiet, at a time like this, deliverance and release for, relief from the Jew, for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will still die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen just for such a time? Some of you are in the position you're in for a time like this. It ain't just happenstance. God already know how he's orchestrating things in our lives. You just got to accept the, accept the risk. And then look what it says. Then Esther sent a reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, somebody say against the law. Sometimes unjust laws need to be challenged. Amen. Unjust, unjust laws need to be challenged. Then sometimes to challenge those laws, you may have to come out of Hollywood and go down to where the people who are the recipients of those unjust laws are and stand up for somebody other than yours? You done made it now. You done arrived. You're in the palace. But just because you're there, don't forget where you So she said this, I will go and see the king. If I must die, 
I must die. To me, now she's saying, hey, I'm willing to accept the risk of my life in order to save my people. And if I got to die, I'm going to die in joy and grace because I'm dying for a worthy. See, Esther laid it on the line. Not going to go through the rest of the story, but you know the rest of the story. Haman got hung by the same gallows that he was going to put Mordecai on. Mordecai got promoted. Esther found favor. And the Jews came up with a holiday called Purim that they commemorate to this day, celebrating the fact that Esther saved their, their lives. And so what we got to see is that when we're going to stand up for Jesus, and if the Lord plays something on our heart, then we got to understand that sometimes it may involve risk. Somebody may talk about you, they may persecute you, but you, you live in America, unless they just stone crazy, most folk ain't going to kill you. Amen. Now, not because you believe in Jesus, you know, but if that was the case, would you accept me? I know some of y'all pondering that one right there. If that was the case, I don't want that scenario before me because right now, you know, I may say one thing here, but when the case arrives, I may do something entirely different. But I got to get you to see that Jesus is worth the risk. If those family members decide they don't want to call you no more because you done got saved and you love the Lord, and you ain't treating them bad, you're just being yourself around them how Jesus wants you to be. If they decide they ain't going to call you no more, you just accept, accept the risk. Because he said that sometimes when you accept him, you know, brothers and sisters may not like you no more. Mama and dad may come up. He don't intend for that to happen, but just in case it does, can you accept? Can you accept the risk? And do you see in your mind, Jesse, that Jesus is worth the risk? It's worth the risk. Now, let me go and take a New Testament example that connects directly to Jesus. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. We're going to see that sharing the gospel could involve risk. Now, in America, normally we don't get jailed because we share the gospel with people, so the most we'll normally get people talk about us and, you know, may say some things behind your back, but, you know, very seldom we're going to get stoned by somebody because you believe in Jesus. But at this time, these disciples, when they went out to share Jesus, they ran the risk of being put in jail. They ran the risk of being stoned. They ran the risk of being outcast. They ran all kinds of risks. And what I need to just impress upon you, you're going to keep hearing me say this, sometimes you got to accept a little bit of a risk for Jesus. Don't let pressure cause you to turn away from him. Accept that as part of life when you accept him, that you're going to receive pressure from somewhere. And when it comes, you're going to have to stand up to it in the name of Jesus. Now, I hit this a little hard right here today because I feel like in church now, many churches don't want to accept the risk when it comes to Jesus. So we have services, but we never mention him in the... We put on the show, we put on the, you know, the performers, but during that time, you would never know that we worship in Jesus because they never call his... They don't want to accept the risk if I say Jesus too many times. Young folk going to turn around and ain't going to come. I got to believe that there's going to be some young folk out there that want to hear about Jesus. Everybody didn't follow him. Everybody ain't going to follow you. But those who will, you must be willing to accept. 
I'm not a hater of performance. If you can perform well in church and all that, just include Jesus in the performance. He's the star. He ought to get the curtain call. He ought to get the applause. He ought to get the praise. He ought to get all those things. But he can't get it if we are not willing to accept the risk. So we're going to see here that the disciples, Peter and John, was out after the day of Pentecost. You know, the spirit was still high. And they were out doing what they were supposed to be doing, seeking and saving the lost, trying to get people to buy into Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, trying to get people to believe that he was the anointed son of God. And as a result of that, it wasn't the people they were teaching that was causing the problem. It was the religious. Most of the problem, Cliff, that we're facing in the church now, it ain't coming from the devil outside. It's coming from the devil. It's an inside job. There are a lot of folk in the church that's tearing down, the, deconstructing their faith and finding all kinds of excuses why they can't believe it. I was talking to somebody the other day asking me about stones. I, what is stones? They got these stones. I was talking to a young lady, and she said, you know, she just don't feel nothing when she talk about Jesus, but when she deal with these stones, something come over her. I'm saying, what? Well, you know, stones are in the Bible. They talk about diamond and pearls and onyx and all that. Yeah, but them stones, they designed to make you feel better. <laughs> you need Jesus <laughs> The reason you don't know and can't feel Jesus is because you don't have his spirit. You got the spirit of those. And I guess stone, there's no different now than when we were coming up with horoscopes or something, you know. You, you got to find your luck somewhere. So I just read the paper every morning and hope that I see a revelation right there from my horoscope. Young people still <laughs> believe it in that stuff. And so what the problem is that when we start believing things like that, then religion becomes superstitious. So now I might as well go ahead and get the horseshoe, put them on my front door, and I might as well go back and get my old rabbit's foot and walk around with him in my pocket. I don't need no stone. I got a rabbit's foot. <laughs> I got a rabbit's foot right here. I just rub him and anoint him and... Now, why is that easy to get in people's mind to believe? Because people are looking for a God that they can. It takes faith to believe in a God that you can. So it's easy for me to convince you that there's some power in this rabbit's foot. And you'll walk around with it on your keychain. Some of y'all gonna get delivered today. Take that thing off your keychain, man. I mean, you, you, you got charms on your keychain. This is my good luck charm. When I get in trouble, I'm going to start rubbing this penny inside this thing to say, good luck. And so what I'm trying to tell you, when you start standing up for the truth of the gospel and people start believing it, it's going to be religious folk that going to have the biggest problem. So that's what we find Peter and John doing here. They was just doing what they was called to do, Cliff. But when they did that, people started believing them, and then the religious folk got upset. Y'all in Acts chapter 4? Look at it, it said, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted. Somebody said confronted. Whew. That word confront means just what it said. These religious folk got right up in their grill, didn't talk about it behind their back, Adrian. They got right there with them and confronted them. You know, it's it's amazing how everybody can confront us, but we're scared to confront. When it's time for us to confront wrong, we put on our humility card. Well, the Lord just wants me to be humble in this time. No, the Lord wants you to turn them tables over in the temple. How come y'all don't go to that scripture? You know, Jesus did. You know, he was humble. But when it came to the things of God, he went in there and cleaned So we got to stop letting everything confront us and then we get silent. You got to have an argument for everybody that confronts you about what you believe. 
So they were confronted by the priests, the captains of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees, religious people. Look at this. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Man, they're teaching some stuff that we don't believe in. And so therefore, if they start teaching the people this, and they start believing that more than they believe us, then our following going to dwindle. So we got to put an end to this. They're giving these folks something with some hope to it. They're giving them something they can look forward to. And they're talking about this resurrection from the... And we have a problem with this resurrection. I don't have a problem with prophet Jesus, baby Jesus, little boy Jesus. I don't have no problem with that Jesus. But when you talk about resurrected Jesus, son of God, got a problem with it. And that's why it's so easy to talk about stones now because you won't get that much blowback. <laughs> stones ain't a divider. Jesus, when people hear Jesus, you draw a line somewhere. Jesus is more definitive than, than you just saying God. Ah. Uh, I can get along with everybody if I just stay on the God level. Because most folks who believe in stones and all these other things, they believe that there's a higher power somewhere. Whether they call them a force and all-knowing and all that, they believe that there's a higher power somewhere. So if all we're going to talk about is higher power, I got a higher power, you got a higher power, some say maybe the same higher power. Well, if he's the same, then why do we disagree when we start talking about his son? So apparently your higher power and my higher power don't agree with one another. So in order to walk away from that confrontation, we water down Jesus. We're not willing to accept the risk of some people confronting us because of what we believe and what we teach. Look what they did. Verse 3. They arrested them and since it was already evening. They put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled 5,000 men, not counting the children. They had a simple message about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, coming and hang, bled, and died for our sins, and being raised from the dead. A simple message that said, Jesus loved you in spite of you. And because of that little simple message caused people to believe and God was working miracles through them, they saw things happening in those guys' ministry, the religious folk got upset. Got upset. But Peter and John was willing to accept the risk. So the next day, they were brought before the council, the religious leaders, known but the Sanhedrin is normally referred to. And they demanded from Peter whose name are you teaching in? Whose power are you operating in? And so Peter being bold because Pentecost didn't happen now and so he bold now but this is the same Peter that got scared when the little girl recognized him. This is the same Peter that was following Jesus from a distance. But something happened on the day of Pentecost. Something happened when he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Something happened. He transformed his life from being that timid, scared, falling from a distant Peter to one that's bold enough to stand in front of 72 religious folk and plead his case and say, I'm willing to accept the risk of whatever you do, but I'm not going to denounce Jesus. Oh, y'all better hear me today. We got to bring Jesus back into the mix. I want the young generation. I want the next generation. But I don't want them compromising Jesus. If we got to get them in here and never talk about Jesus, don't highlight him, don't make things about him, then look here. Y'all going to have to wait till the next pastor comes. As long as I'm here, Jesus is the star. He the star. 
And he's worth the risk. So look at this response. I'm in verse 8. It says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Now look here. We talk about Holy Spirit, but I don't think a lot of Christians really understand Holy Spirit. We got a whole lesson that we teach on Holy Spirit and our warrior development. But sometimes I think that because we talk about it, don't mean you believe it. Don't believe you can be filled with him and empowered with him and do what God is calling you to do. And I think that the Holy Spirit ought to give us boldness to do what we've been called to do. We shouldn't be timid and say we're walking around with the Spirit of God on the end. So if you can feel with all that timidity or whatever that word is I'm trying to find right there, Cliff, if you're scared, let me say it like I said in the hood, if you're just scared, then maybe you ain't got what you need on the ends. I know the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we don't like to talk about it now because, again, when you deal with young people trying to get to spiritual things, they want to see evidence. They want to see facts. They want to see data right there in front of them. They want something they can touch. I got to tell you, you can't touch him, but you can feel him if you really want a relationship. So, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Since you inquire, let me tell you. He said, let me clear the state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the... We're operating in his power. We're operating in his authority. He's the same one that you crucified that walked the earth here before you guys, and you crucified him. But guess what? He sent us his spirit, and that's what we'll operate. That's why I can sound like I'm bold. 72 to 2. And I ain't going to bite my tongue. Because now I'm finna offend some folk, by what I'm about to say next. Not only did he raise him from the dead, but look at this. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected. <laughs> Somebody say, oh, that's the Jesus stone I got now. That's, that is, <laughs> that is metaphor. That ain't talking about you got no little rock of Jesus. <laughs> He said, look, that stone became the foundation of what you believe in. And you don't need an image. You need his spirit. And so he's saying, now look here. The stone that you rejected has become the cornerstone. In the old days, some of y'all too young to remember, and I know in masonry people know that when you set a building foundation, you get a cornerstone. But I remember in the old church, they used to have a stone on the front of the building. And it stood out from all the other bricks and all that. And on that cornerstone were the names of all the folks who founded the church. And they were putting you on notice. When you come in this church, if you identify any of these names, or they folk, you better believe they were the foundation. Now, we don't put foundations out like that no more, but some churches still do. And they become family church. Ain't no wrong with that. But they letting you know, great-great-granddaddy laid the foundation for this building. And as long as somebody got his last name in this, he was found. Y'all getting real quiet right there. Don't get quiet. I'm just saying, so, so what I'm trying to get you to see is this. Jesus, the very thing that was rejected by man, God had already planned for him to be the very source that man needed. And look at this. This is where I think we offend some people right here in verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. No one. No one 
No one else. No one else. And that's the argument that people can't accept today because everybody wants to believe that there is somebody But Peter here, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, said there is salvation in no one else, exclamation point. So he must have said it with some passion. Some, you some, uh. I ain't scared because there's 72 of y'all sitting over there. Y'all ain't nothing but whitewashed stone. Ain't nothing on the inside of y'all. Everything that I need is already with me because he told me before he left, I stand you before men and you ain't even got to worry and go home and take a tutorial. I'll tell you what you need to say. Some of y'all don't believe that you can stand before people without having to rehearse your speech. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to do the talking, you can walk in and talk to your boss and don't have to be intimidated because I didn't get 20 minutes to prepare to go in. Now, he called me in one minute, I'm going to be there in a 30 seconds, and I'm ready to talk. Because I believe that there's something on the inside that's going to give me the inspiration that I need to speak truth to power. Oh, Lord, let me get back here. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now look at this. He says, not only no person, but no other. No other. Not the little guy. No other name. No other name. I mean, that's clear to me. Now, to say that before these people, you had to be willing to take the... Because some of these people will want to kill him for what he just... Some of those folks out there that you're going to talk to, when you tell them that that little God that they're running behind ain't the real God, and that you got the real deal, they may be willing to confront you too. But you got to be strong enough to believe that you got the greater one with. Now, I'm not asking you to go out there and pick no fight with anybody else. I'm just asking you to defend what you believe. I ain't saying, I don't wake up every morning and say, let me go find a heathen and just go jump on him. No. Let me go find somebody who in another religion. Goes no. But if it comes down to a confrontation and I got to defend Jesus, I don't care who on the other side. He's worth the risk, Robin. And everybody out that know you and hang around you ought to believe that you understand and you know that he's worth the risk to you. Now I want to mess with my daughter. She don't, she don't went out there. Not the baby daughter. I ain't going to mess with you guys. I know you'll come back at me. Now Candace done went out there and her dad done preached for years about sororities and paternity. And she done went out there and AKA'd up. I mean, and right now, she ain't been in but a hot minute. But she can defend them rascals. Her attire, her wardrobe, her stuff. Now, I look at her. I ain't never knew you like Piggy Green like that. Defend them rascals. Got the dance, got the move, got the twerk, 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 and all that. I ain't got no problem with having it. But you can't let that take the place of. I figure I give y'all a real life example because some of y'all heard. That's just the way it is. You can be in anything you want, but that thing cannot take the place of. It can't save. All it should be for you is an opportunity to spread Jesus throughout the Greek organization. <laughs> Amen. I know I got a lot of y'all here. Y'all need to be spreading <laughs> Jesus throughout the organization. Peter said, no one else and no other name under heaven 
can save you. And I can tell right now, I'm going to get some blowback. I know somebody's going to send me some texts. I don't care. I don't, I don't care if they're telling the truth. I ain't going to water Jesus down because you're part of this, that, and the other. Man, Jesus is still Jesus. And I want to embolden you so that you act like he's still Jesus and you take the risk, whatever comes with that, while you're doing what you're doing. Now look at this. When you see, look at, <laughs> I'm a teacher. Y'all can tell. That's why I like to go slow and read the Bible because the Lord showed me things while I'm reading. Now look at this. I'm gonna just show you this. After he said that powerful statement, the members of the council were of. Some of y'all sitting out there amazed right now. I don't believe he just said that. He done went down. He, he I'm, what? This dude, he do he know who all in his church is part of this that and other? Yeah. I want you to be amazed that I'm telling you that Jesus is the all the co-stars y'all want to bring to the table, that's fine. But Jesus is the <laughs> the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness. Your boldness can be seen of Peter and John. Now look at this. For they could see that they were ordinary Men. So God don't need extraordinary people to get something done. He needs ordinary people that he can do extraordinary things through. Y'all looking for the extraordinary when you better start looking at somebody else ordinary and filled with the... Y'all looking for the super and ain't got no anointing. No Holy Spirit. They were made. They were just ordinary men. They hadn't been to rabbi school. How'd I know? Look at this. Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. But they were walking with scripture. They ate with scripture. They sit at the feet of scripture. They was learning from the best. They was learning from the written word, the living word. They was learning from God's son. They was learning from the, even though they didn't go to rabbi school, they learned more than the rabbis because the rabbis didn't even know how to interpret half of the stuff that they was reading in the Old Testament. Then they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus, the best teacher in the world. He is a teacher. And look at here. He sent his spirit to us so that we can be taught. If Pastor Bolden can't get it through to you, you just keep reading this Bible and keep praying and keep allowing the Spirit to talk to you. That was, in the old days, preacher didn't have a whole lot of formal education. It, in our culture, it was only lately, you know, we came, Johnny, come lately to the revelation that preaching is a profession. In our culture, we didn't see preachers and pastors as professionals. Because they drove taxes. They worked in the grocery stores. They taught school and doing other things. They were janitors. But then on Sunday, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a guy who didn't even finish high school know more about the Bible than somebody who done been to cemetery. I meant seminary. <laughs> see, some of y'all supposed to caught me on that. I did that on purpose just to see who knew how I was talking about. That was, that was a trick question right there. I just threw that in there. <laughs> Because some folks do go to seminary and, and learn less than what they went in with. And so what we got to see is that if God has entrusted his spirit in you, Tara, and you make yourself available to him, he can take ordinary and do extraordinary most of these guys were fishermen. They had other occupations. They were heathen sinners. But once they sat with Jesus and they took on what he was teaching, the problem is not where you go to church. It's the problem is are you going to apply what you hear anywhere you go? Because even a bad preacher is going to show you half of the Bible. You know, and he's going to at least open the Bible and read something. But are you going to take that in and apply it to your life? 
Because when you get ready to apply it to your life, then you're willing now to accept the risk for Jesus. Because you're willing to live out the things that you're learning and you don't care what people say or So now look, let me go on to finish this up. Go to, I'm going to skip over to verse 17. Verse 17. Because they ordered Peter and John out of their council because they, you know, they, they were finna have a deliberation meeting phase. And while we deliberate what we're going to do to them, we don't want them standing here listening to what we're talking about. And, you know, we're going to deliberate behind closed doors because we don't want them to know who said what. You know, that's how things happen. You. People, when you don't know and you ain't there, all you hear is what was said but a lot of times folk won't tell you who. <laughs> oh, God. Timely. Very. Timely. So people are deliberating in the churches today. On whatever topic they want to talk about, they're deliberating. And ain't nothing wrong with that. But when you stand before the deliberator, you got to know what the truth, the truth is. And then you got to be bold enough to stand on the truth that you, y'all better hear me today. So now they're standing before the council. These guys have had time to think about it. Alex, they have had time to think about it. What are we going to do to these guys? We, we got to do something. I mean, they done got 5,000 folks following them. They got 5,000 folks saying, they, 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 they around here talking about this guy, Jesus, like he is the, you know, the Messiah. They really blowing him up. We got to do. So look what they said. Verse 17. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further. Propaganda? The truth is propaganda? Propaganda? It's only propaganda when you don't know the truth. I know the truth. You can't put nothing on me. I know the truth. So what you say don't matter unless it lines up with the... But when you don't know the truth, propaganda can sound like truth. And when you don't know the truth, you can call truth propaganda. If you say it long enough, somebody will say, Cliff just speaking propaganda. He don't bit more know nothing about Jesus and a man in the moon like the old folks said. He just speaking proper. If that propaganda is leading folk to Jesus, then I'm okay with it. You can call it what you want, but 5,000 people don't believe it's proper. He said, now look, they keep spreading their propaganda before they spread it any further. We must warn them not to speak any, to anyone in Jesus' name again. Now, that's a deal breaker right there. There's no way that I can walk out of this meeting with you all and never call on the name of Jesus again. So y'all might as well go and do what you're going to do because that dog ain't going to hunt. No legs at all to give up the name of after all he done brought me through, to give up the name of, after calling me for what I was doing before him, to give up the name, to just compromise his name and just call on anybody else. Well, if I'm going to give up Jesus, I might as well go on and call on Harry Christmas, Buddha, and everybody else out there they're calling on. Just call on another name. But I ain't giving up the name that has already been declared the best name of So in my mind, as small as it is, any other name is inferior. So you can't take and separate me from the... Because if I can separate you from the name, I can separate you from him. Look at this. But Peter and John replied, do you think God want us to obey you rather than him? That's the question all y'all got down. Not just on this issue right here about, you know, Peter standing before the council, but you got to ask yourself in your own life, are you willing to obey what other folks say, or are you going to obey what God say? When God tells you to do something, do you see that as a command, or do you see that he's just suggesting you to do it, and then you got to go and find five other folks to agree with you? 
who you going to believe? I mean, you got a relationship with him. He don't need to tell five other folk what he want to tell you. They confirm what he may have told you, but that's like you got children in your house, Brother Rob, and you tell them, go talk to, you know, Joe Blow down the street there and tell him, let him tell you what I want you to do. If your children hear your voice and respond, they will obey you and we can cut Joe Blow out of the equation. We need to start cutting some. All that other stuff is noise out there. So I would rather obey God and take my chances than to walk away from Jesus and make folk happy. Look at this. And I'm almost done. He said, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Man, we got firsthand knowledge. We are eyewitnesses to the stuff we did. See, we, we are testifying based upon what is written. We didn't see Jesus walk the street. So we have faith to believe that what is written is true. And so therefore, we talk about it just like we experienced it. And so by that, Jesus said, look, I'm going to even be in a better state of being blessed because I'm believing and talking about some things that I have not seen. I didn't need him to come back and show me the nails prints in his side and hand. I believe his word and I believe his spirit. So therefore, that's enough for me to be willing to do whatever it takes to do my job in earth. He says this in verse 21. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. Man, you <laughs> y'all got to get the picture there. They done healed this guy who's been sick for 40 years. That's what the next verse is going to say. And then now they want to punish them for doing a good deed. But they got they wise enough to know these folk just saw something. They knew that dude for 40 years, and all of a sudden his life done changed. We saw something. And what they saw, not like we live in America, because some of y'all saw something and still don't believe it. <laughs> y'all saw it. And still, I ain't, I'm just making a reference, an inference to something. Y'all. And still don't believe. These religious leaders saw something and saw how the people responded. And they said, look, we can't touch these boys right now. We're going to get them, but we can't get them right now because them 5,000 folks out there believe what they just saw. They saw this 40-year-old dude get up and start acting like he can walk again. He ain't falling down. Something happened that was real, and they believe it. Therefore, we cannot touch them right now. And so what I'm getting you to see is that for Peter and John, Jesus was worth the, worth the risk. And what I'm trying to tell you, you got to be the same way. You got to see him as being worth the risk and then deal with the consequences when they come. Don't shrink back. Don't bow down. Don't back up. Stand up for Jesus. Let the world know who you believe in. I'm not telling you to be a Bible-thumping, head-beating people with the word, but I'm telling you, don't shrink back from the word of God. And don't shrink back from his son. If you say he's your Lord and Savior, act like he's your Lord and Savior. Carry him with you everywhere you go so that the world will know whose side you are on. I don't mind having the opposing team in front of me. I understand that but they're not going to change who I am and who I believe. And so I just dropped by to tell you today, it is unacceptable for you not to be willing to take the risk for Jesus. Rob, he took the risk for us. He took it knowing he was going to die. But he went through all that for us. And when we accept the risk, we got to believe that that's going to be a reward on the other side of the, of the risk. There's more to this life than your physical body. And you got to believe that you accept that risk so that you can spend eternity with the very one that you say you believe. 
That's what it's all about. And if you believe that, just give the Lord some praise right now. Just give him some praise. Let somebody know online that Jesus is real today. He's real in our heart. He's real in our soul. And guess what? We are willing to accept the risk for Jesus. He is worth the risk, Cliff. He's worth the risk. He's worth some friends that are going to walk away from you. Because some of them going to walk away from you whether you got Jesus or He's worth giving up some of your habits and your addictions and your behaviors that don't lie. He's I'm through preaching. I got another week on this, so y'all hear some more of this next week. Every head by and every eye closed. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name, God. I got several appeals for you. My first appeal is for salvation. Peter made it clear that Jesus is the way that we obtain eternal salvation. And I just want to extend that invitation to you today. If you're online or you're in the house and you have not consciously and in your heart accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're on, online, just send us an instant message. Let us know and we'll get in touch with you and, and make sure that we uh, introduce you to Jesus afresh. So if that is you, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. I see no hands raised, and I take it that all have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My second appeal is for church membership. If you're here and you're looking for a church home, if you're online and you're looking for a church home, please do the same thing. Just give us a call or send us an instant message to let us know, and we definitely will get back in touch with you. If you're here in the house and you're looking for a church home, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. We'd love to have you to be a part of this ministry. I see a hand going up right there. Amen. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. If you raise your hand and you looked up, will you please just look up at me right now? I ask that you just gather your things, go with Brother Anthony right there. They're going to get some information from you, and we're going to greet you in our own special way. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My third appeal is for prayer time. I just ask you while you're at your seat, if you want to stand at your seat, continue to sit at your seat. I'll pray, but I want you to also be lifting up your petitions to the Lord. If he's placed something on your heart or someone on your heart, this is the time for you to lift them up in prayer. You may have a concern. You may want to even lift up a, a concern of your own. But whatever it is, I just want you to fix your heart and your mind on prayer. Communicate with our Lord and Savior like you know him, like you've got a relationship with him. You don't have to go to seminary to know how to pray. Amen. All you have to do is open your heart up and just be sensitive to the spirit of God that's on the inside of you. So go ahead and pray as you see fit while I pray. Mm. Merciful God, our Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the precious name of Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for all that he did just for us. And God, the beauty of it is he did it while we were still sinners. You let him die just for us. And God, that's love. And we thank you for that love that you shared and gave to us, even when we weren't necessarily deserving of it. But you loved us in spite of it. And we are so grateful for that. And God, there are others out there who need to hear that message of love, that Jesus loved them in spite of. That just like he was there for us, he will be there for them. And now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, whatever concerns these your people have, God, I ask that you incline your ear down to them. Hear their cries, hear their pleas, God. You know their concerns even before they ask, but you still request us to come to you boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in our time of trouble or need. So right now, God, we cast our cares on you. Whatever those cares are, be it family issues, health issues, God, financial issues, anything, God, that is keeping us from experiencing you at another level, God, we cast it down right now. God, we lay it at the altar, God, believing that we can cast them on you because you can handle more than we can. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives and the, of your people here today, God. I thank you for those that have got one nugget out of this word today, God. Maybe there's one thing that they can take away from this today, one thing that will energize them and embolden them, God, to do what you've called them to do, just one thing. And God, if they act on that one thing, I believe that you will allow it to grow just like a mustard seed. 
it would turn into something a lot bigger because you're, you have a habit of using ordinary people to do great things in your kingdom. And God, I'm speaking to the ordinary right now. There's somebody in here that's in that ordinary character that think that I, I can't do this. I'm not that. No, 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 no. You fill with his spirit. Trust his spirit. And Father, when it's all said and done, we're not going to usurp you in any way, but we're going to always magnify and lift up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the chief stone. He is the cornerstone of our ministry. He is the foundation that we are built on. And God, we thank you for him. And now, God, we just ask that you continue to look out over your people, continue to give them peace, joy, love, all the things they need, God, to be sustained here on earth. And God, when it's all said and done, we continue to give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand, cup of praise, if you will.